In September of 1947, there was a young man who uh, had began a, a new work in his ministry, and uh, he was working for uh, an association, and uh, he began to speak in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which over a course of a week's time, about 6,000 people would come to hear this guy uh, teach and preach, and uh, about 500 of them, as uh, people would say, uh, came to faith in Jesus for the very first time. They publicly followed Christ with their life. And this guy would go on to have a ministry that would really span across the world over the next 60 years. Uh, three years later, in 1950, uh, he would begin his own uh, association. It would be called the Billy Graham Evangelical Association. Uh, Billy Graham would take the nation and ultimately the world by storm. Uh, for the next 60 years, he would preach to hundreds of thousands, uh, millions of people actually, and many would come to know Christ for the very first time. Uh, Billy Graham was a, an icon. As a matter of fact, in the 1950s, he helped lead a resurgence in America where you would look around in the 1950s and most every church uh, had kind of begun to hit its heyday. Matter of fact, if you ever talk to someone uh, who is in their 90s at this point, they will tell you uh, about a life and a time in their church in which they remember the heyday. On the heyday, might have had full choirs. It might have had large attendance. It might have had great giving. They might have even uh, celebrated uh, great road trips and youth trips and so many different things. And, and oftentimes, when I'm talking to people that have been a part of the church, maybe they grew up in it or have been in the church for a long time, one of the things that I oftentimes hear them say is, Man, do you remember when? And they always look back, and it might have been 20 years ago, it could have been 30 years ago, it could have been 40, or, and for some people it could have been 60 or 70 years ago, in which they look back and they would say, do you remember what used to be? Now the challenge with that is that statistics would tell you today that American churches are below half of the percentage of attendance and life transformation and all the other statistics that were taking place in America in the late 1940s and 50s. The days that Billy Graham was beginning his ministry are by bygones. Uh, though he's an icon, and many remember his death uh, just uh, over a, a year ago or right at it, uh, many people don't remember the fruits of that ministry and all the things that were happening in America. But what oftentimes happens is people like you and I would say, hey, well, do you remember when? Do you remember when the church used to? And I just want to just begin this morning and just say on both of our campuses, I pray that the words, I remember when, are never icons in our own life. But I pray that our thought process would always be, God, what do you want to continue to do and what more is to be accomplished here? As we talked about uh, what the church looks like, I think for many of us, uh, we have certain things about church in our mind. Uh, eight years ago, uh, there was a team of us that just decided to get together, and we thought, hey, what would it look like if we began a new work in Van Zant County? What would it look like if we, in a sense, established a new body of believers? And so we, in a sense, started to reimagine what a church should be like, what it would look like. And as we were doing that, we knew that there was a great reformation that had happened many years ago. And that reformation was with guys like John Calvin, Martin Luther, and many others 
believers. And the whole port, uh, point of the Reformation back in the 1500s uh, all the way through the 1700s really was to get the Word of God back to the people, to allow them to begin to understand the Word and how it was written and what the church would, uh, would be blessed by if they could not only read the Word but apply the Word on their own. And I wholeheartedly believe that we are in a a phase, really in the life of the church now, in which I think is, in a sense, a a need for a second reform. And that reform would be to get the work of God back to the people. I think so many people... don't know the word uh, the way that they should, probably many of us in this room, but many of us also need to understand what it looks like to, to be the people that are, in a sense, being a blessing and taking not only the word of God, but the work of God to the nations. And I started thinking about that. Uh, I just recalled what we talked about last week in First Peter. And Peter uh, is, is a guy who, in a sense, understood what this looked like. And I just want to read this to you again, something that we spoke about uh, for a few brief moments last week. And it's in First Peter chapter 2. If you have Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't have one, we would put it up on the screen. But let me just say this. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have one you're proud of that you can read on a daily basis, one of the things that we believe that you and I as believers here at Stone point should do is to abide, abide daily with Jesus. We think there's an importance on having our coffee and our time in the Word and a quiet time per se where we're able to read the Scriptures, meditate on them, have prayer, maybe a journal, all of those things. And if you don't have any of that stuff, then we want you to go to our connection point uh, on either of our campuses and we would love to bless you with the Bible so that you can begin abiding with Jesus daily. Now let's just say that um, you got your Bible, we'll turn there. First Peter chapter 2, this is what Peter says. He says, but you are a chosen race. And he uses the word uh, that Jesus would use uh, in Matthew chapter 16 when he says, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He uses the same word there, or a similar word. Uh, Jesus used the word ekklesia. He's going to use the word ekletos, which literally means people. It's the idea of a chosen race. He says, you're a chosen re- race. It means that you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. The church isn't about one person. It's not about one uh, one lay leader. It's not about one pastor. It's not about one thing. It's about a group of people, and it's about something bigger than ourselves. And he goes on, he goes, you're a royal priesthood. The priesthood always had a specific work, and we do too. We're the people of God, we're the priesthood of God, we're the hope, we're a holy nation, we are a people for God's own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. The idea is this, is that Jesus takes us on a a journey of radical transformation in our life. Why? So that we can become members of his church? No, not necessarily. Uh, That's part of it, but ultimately so that we can proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light. The reason that he set us onto a new ground, the reason that you have 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following a new creation is so that we can be ambassadors for the cause of Christ, so that we can take his message and proclaim it. Why? Because we once were not a people and now we are a people. We once had not received mercy is what he says, but now we have received mercy. And he goes, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to look differently. Uh, Think about that as an alien and a stranger in our world. It means that you're not going with the flow of everyone else. It means that you're going a different direction. In a sense, you stand out. And not because you stand on a street corner and you yell that everybody's going to hell. 
but that you would stand out in the way that you live, the way that you work, the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you make decisions. It's about character. It's about transformation in our own hearts and our own lives. And then it says, you would abstain from what? Fleshly lust, which waged war against our soul. I mean, we know that from Galatians 5, that we would keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that the very thing that they slander you as evildoers for, that they would see your good deeds and they would observe them and one day glorify God on the day of visitation. The idea here is that you and I would begin to understand what it looks like to be the church. In a day and age where many of us would say the heyday of the church has come and gone, I'm saying is I think that there is still much room and potential. Matter of fact, you might uh, ask the question, and many people have, Brandon, why would you come to the Bible Belt and why would you begin another church? I mean, aren't there enough churches in Texas, let alone in our own community in our county? It's a question I oftentimes received, and I had one guy that was on staff with me at the church that, uh, in a sense, helped begin uh, this work, and they blessed us. And one of the things that he asked me, he goes, I I I guess I'm confused at why you're not going to somewhere like Denver or Seattle or another place where the gospel's much more needed, and you seem to be going somewhere that's a little bit more, and I'll never forget his words, comfortable. And let me just tell you real quickly, the reason that it was never comfortable is because it was the biggest step of faith that I ever took in my entire life. And one of the reasons it wasn't comfortable is because, to be honest with you, I had no idea that it would ever succeed. I honestly thought when we first started, I had a handful of family members and a, co- a few close friends. Uh, it was, today, I, I looked around in the first service, and the only ones that were in, that, in the room with us was my mom and dad. And I thought, well, I guess if this whole thing fails, at least they'll still be on our team. <laughs> I mean, surely my parents love me enough, they're not going to ditch us somewhere along the journey, Right. And I'll tell you, even in your mind, in your heart, like in the very depth of your being, you're not even sure of that. What you are sure of is that God has called us to, to, to go and to be faithful to him. And I, I talked to see some of our guys on our team. We have a guy that's going to go plant a church here in a handful of months. And uh, he's, he's going to leave our team, and he's going to go back to his home. And, and I go, look, at the end of the day, it's not about whether or not your church succeeds. It's not about whether it grows. It's not whether or not it comes something that's substantial. What does matter is your faithfulness to go. And at the end of the day, if everything else fails, you go. And so I remember that. I remember in my heart of going, you know what? Here's why God's called me to this place. And here's why. Because although we live in the Bible Belt, what statistics would tell us today is the same that was true eight years ago, is that 70% of the people that we live around do not go to a church. You're talking about Texas and the Bible Belt. 70% of the people that would call this home, they, they don't have a home church. They, they don't have a place where they go on a weekly basis. Now, matter of fact, when you ask them, hey, do you go to church? Many times you'll see them in the grocery store aisle stumble over their words. And then they might be able to name the church, but you go, well, hey, tell me who the pastor is. And they'll go, you know what? I don't really know. And the bottom line is, is this, is that many people equate something of their life with a church, but the bottom line is they don't get out of bed and they don't go anywhere. And what we're living in is a day and age in where people know enough about the gospel and enough about Jesus and enough about his church to be really dangerous in this thing called the Bible Belt. And so the question is, is do we need the church? And the answer is absolutely we need the church. 
And what we do need is, in a sense, reforms within the church. And what I want you to understand is this, that the reforms in the church and the way you grow the church is not the way that we thought we grew the church a long time ago. So what I mean by that is this. When I was growing up, if you uh, were a Southern Baptist, and some of you were, uh, what you would do is, is you would have what you call a revival. You would bring somebody in that was an A-plus champion speaker, and you'd say, hey, this dude's coming in, and you should come and listen. You remember Billy Graham? I mean, if you could get him to your local church, you knew that people would come. The challenge is, is this, is that I don't see in the Gospels anywhere in which the church is called to invite people to come. But we are called to what? Go. And see, here's what I think has happened. As the work of God and the word of God has tried to be established in the church, we think, hey, if I'll just invite someone to this thing, then maybe they'll come or maybe they'll be a part of it. And here's what I would just help you understand, that the gospel is meant to be sent. It's a sending agent. It's about going. It's about establishing connections. And I'll tell you that you go, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. You mean that I, sh- I can't just invite people to come and listen to you? And the answer is, yes, you can do that. But what I'm saying is, is you'll have less gospel-centered, in a sense, success than if you go and you take the gospel to places where it's needed. And that's what the call is. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for its power uh, of God, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Meaning, I'll, I'll take it wherever I go. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing to his brother uh, Timothy, to this friend of his, uh, in which he's encouraging. And he goes, Hey, you need to be ready to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. The idea, he goes, you need to be ready. It's the same idea of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, in which Peter says, hey, we need to be ready to give a a hope for the, uh, we need to be ready to give a defense or a hope for the reason that we believe the gospel, that that the idea at the end of the day, we need to be prepared to what? Teach. And you go, well, wait a second, isn't that your job? I mean, aren't you the guy, like, if I'll just get them to you, can't you take over from there? And I think for so many years within the church, that's been the assumption. If I can just get them to you, can't I hand them off and won't you develop them after that? And here's the deal. I'll do that for the first three or four, but beyond that, I can't disciple everybody here. And so what happens is you get a room of full people who are coming to listen to a guy in which oftentimes they'll never hang around with. They'll never sit around my dinner table. They'll never be in my home. And the reason why is because the church is not meant to come and see a guy, but it's meant to come and meet Jesus and then be discipled within the local body of people doing the work of Christ. Now, here's the crazy thing is, as you go, amen, amen, and here's the deal. You've heard this for eight solid years. You've heard me preach every known way I can, every twist, every angle, every way I could present it to you, I have. And here's where I would caution you most. I would caution you against saying amen and nodding your head only to walk out of the doors and do nothing with what you just said. Because here's the deal. In the church, we know this is true. 
We, we know. And here's what's interesting. Statistics would tell us that 97% of evangelical believers, 97% would nod their heads, say amen, and would agree that the gospel should be going out. But the same statistics would tell us that less than 5% of all believers in the world have ever shared their faith one time. Think about that for just a second. What does that mean? It means that we got a bunch of people who sit in cushioned seats and they say, amen, praise God. Now, hey, will you go do that? And the challenge is, is the church is dying. Why? Because you can only come and see this guy who pats you on the butt for so long. At some point, coming and seeing me is empty. It's vain. For so long, you can invite them and you can say, hey, listen, dude, come to our church. It's alive. Come to be a part of our music. And you can only come and see that for so long until it's empty and it's vain. We can only welcome people so many times, but here's where gospel-centered truth hits home. It's when you say, hey, don't come and see my church. Hey, don't come and see my music. Hey, come and see my pastor. Isn't he good? But come and see and meet my Jesus, because the more you know about him, the more he'll never let you down. And here's the deal. What's crazy is, listen, listen, Jesus says, come and see. And you can say, come and see, but here's what you do. You say, come and see this Sunday experience. And I'm saying, no, come and see Jesus, and let's let people meet him on Monday. Let's let him meet him on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. At the end of the day, the goal of this is that we would get to the point of gospel-centered living, that we would even say maybe the words that Paul said in Romans chapter 9. He goes, it would be okay for me to be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I would be okay with being accursed and cut off from Christ if other people would know Jesus. I would be okay. Think about that for just a second. What has the church become? See, here's what the church has become. A church, the church by and large, has become a place in which people come conveniently. And ultimately, here's what happens. We select a church based off our preferences. And here's our preferences. You ready for them? Did I like the music? Was it my style? Did I like him? Did he offend me too much? No, it was just right. He made me a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit queasy, but somehow before I left, he had switched it and encouraged me. Did they have a good kids ministry? Was it everything that I hoped it would be? Did they have students? Hey, do you have a women's deal? Well, where's your women's ministry? I'm, I'm sold all the way up until this women's deal. What, what do you got for men? And here's what happens is that we become a country club of sorts. It's the 4-H program. It's the Boy Scouts of America. It's, hey, what do you offer me? And here's the crazy thing is, is this. We have nothing to offer our members except Christ. That's all we need. And we have each other. But here's the deal. Listen, when we started this thing, here's what we said. We said we're going to be a church that doesn't exist for its members, but we're going to exist for its non-members. And so when we started this thing, I remember the early meetings, we said, we're going to base all this off of two scriptures. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to go out into our community, and we are going to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And we are going to base the growth of this thing not off of people who are coming from other churches, but ultimately we're going to base it off of people who do not go to church. Why? 
Because statistics would tell us there's a far larger number of people not going to church than that is going to church. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not a businessman, but that sounds intelligent, right? If all the stock share is in one place, let's go after that. And you know where they are? They're in their living rooms. And you start thinking about it. Well, why in the world would they want to come here anyway? And the answer is, I don't know. I mean, think about it real quickly. I mean, you're going to invite your friend, your neighbor, and they don't go to church. I mean, what's the point of church? I mean, I'm going to walk in. I mean, there's chandeliers and there's pews and there's some guy that's going to bore me to death. Is that what you've got? Is that what the church is? And that's what a lot of them think in their mind. I remember early on inviting people and they would come and they'd go, hold on, dude, what? We're going to have church in here? Is this this metal building, right? I mean, they have some of the fanciful stone and some of the beautification. We still have a long way to go here, but listen, it wasn't this. It was a metal building. And I remember guys looking up, and they'd walk in, and literally they would say, I'm not sure that I can even come to church. And I'm like, why? You're, like, You're afraid this steel structure is going to fall down on you? And they're like, absolutely. I hadn't been to church in 30 years. And I'm like, well, praise God you're here. This steel is very, very, very good. It's well together perfect. It's great. It's not going to fall down on you. Hell's not freezing over today, I promise. <laughs> and that's who, we, that's who we existed for. And early on, here's what we did. We would gather before services. I, I remember our team, we would ask them to come a little early. We'd pray together, and then we would say, hey, listen, the goal today is simply to get a cup of coffee into a guy's hand, and then you can have a conversation. Because as long as he's got a cup of coffee in his hand, he's got this little shield and here's the deal, we're just going to love on them, and then we're going to teach them God's truth. Here's the deal, at the end of the day, we're not here for us, we're here for a community of people, 70% of them that don't know Jesus. Are you in for that? And people go, yeah, I'm in for that, I'm in for that, I'm in for that. Okay, awesome. So we're going to talk about membership too. One day we're going to call you to membership so that you can go out. Because at the end of the day, the only membership organization there is on planet Earth that exists as members for the good of its non-members is called the church why we're here. Think about that for just a second. The reason you have church membership is so that it exists for the purposes of the people who are not even members here yet. Now, is that the church that you signed up for? Or did you sign up for the church that has the great kids ministry? Did you have it's the music, it's the preference, it's the experience, whatever? Because at the end of the day, can I just tell you, um, next week we're going to give you what we call a 4C assessment. We've been doing it since we first started. We ask our members to re-up every two years. Our membership goes back to zero. And the reason why is because we want to remember, and here's what we want most of all. We, we want you to be able to leave if this isn't the same deal that you signed up for. Because at the end of the day, why do we want to keep gathering together for the sake of ourselves if it's not about us? Right? That's crazy. Think about that for just a second. We want to move the gospel. And so Luke chapter 10, if you remember, Jesus is going to send out some, some people, and he's going to encourage them to go do gospel-centered work. And uh, he just says this. He appoints 72 others. He sends them ahead of him two by two into every town and place that he himself is about to go. And he says to them, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, say it with me on both campuses, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He goes, look, a couple of things. One, I'm going to send you out for the good of the people who have never heard. And I'm sending you out into something harsh. 
I'm going to send you out into people who are going to eat you alive. Matter of fact, they're going to hate you. They're going to make up things about you. They're going to say harsh things about you because they hated me first. And listen, I'll tell you this, it hasn't changed. The, the script has not changed from Luke chapter 10. Here's what I know. Right now in Van Zandt County, the harvest is still plentiful. Here's what I know. The workers are still few. And I, I can also tell you this, that when you're sent out, there are going to be people that are going to say malicious things about you. They're going to say things that are hateful and not true. And at the end of the day, you're going to have some wolves that are going to attack you. Why? Because they hate you? No, because they hate Jesus. And you're a byproduct of the one who brings truth. But does that keep you from going? And the answer is no, it doesn't. We still go in faithfulness to who? Jesus. Why? Because we believe that there is good for those who do not know him yet. That's why we go. It's, it's because we want to have the opportunity to rejoice with other people. And so one of the first things, I remember sitting around uh, on, on a, a rock patio. There was a little fire pit there in the middle. There was about 30 of us gathered, and I remember sharing this story. And I said, look, from the very inception, here's what you need to know. The church doesn't exist for any of us 30, but the, the church actually exists for the person that's not here yet. We believe that the best days ahead are for the person who's just coming in or ultimately who's not even here yet. And I remember the amens. I remember the nodding of the head. I remember like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, let's do that. And then I remember sharing this parable. It's the parable of the, there's three lost things. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin. Ultimately, there's also the lost son, the prodigal. But this very first one was one that resonated with our team. And it just says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This is in Luke chapter 15. And it says, the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, hey, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's Jesus. He receives sinners and he eats with them. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Amen. There's your biggest amen of the day. Thank you. So, so Jesus didn't exist for the people who had it together. No, he existed for the ones who were lost and broken. Matter of fact, that's what Luke says. He came to seek and save that which is lost. So he tells them this parable. Hey, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will always be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I remember, I, I can almost vividly see it in my mind, people going, yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. We're always going to pursue that one. And then I also know about two years into it, the wave of people who once sat around that little fire pit with me, and they go, you know what, I can't leave because this, I can't stay because this thing has kind of ventured off course. I mean, ventured off course in what way? You mean that like, you're not the center? You're not the foundation? Well, no, it's not that, Pastor. What is it? And you might sense anger. I'm not angry. Bottom line is, is what happens is over time, if we're not careful, man, we just begin to move off course. And somehow we look up one day, and it's been eight years, and we go, man, why do we exist? Are we existing for the good of our non-members? Or are we existing for the good of our own preferences? What, what have we made this thing about? And I'll tell you, here's what the church is about, always has been from the first century on, at least meant to be. And that is about pursuing people who do not know Jesus 
and us encouraging them by the faithfulness of our lives because of what Jesus has done in ours to come to know the truth in which we believe about the gospel. That's what it's about, nothing more. And so listen, when I signed up to this thing eight years ago, my goal in signing up for it was simply to reach as many people as I could in Van Zandt County for the cause of Christ until the day he called me home. And I'll tell you that my goal has not changed at all. I pray that many of you are, are encouraged by this body. I pray that many of you are encouraged by the work that God has done here in your own lives and families. I pray that many of you enjoy what God has established here. Maybe it's the music. Maybe it's the messages. Maybe it's a kids' ministry thing. I don't know. Maybe it's student ministry. I don't know. Maybe it's something that you women are doing. I don't know. I want you to understand, though, the reason we exist, though, are the, for the people that are not here today. And the question is, is when does that work begin? And here it is. You ready? Tomorrow. And, and, and here's the deal. You go, why not, to, why, why not now? It does. It exists now. And so here's what you can spend your afternoon doing. You can spend your afternoon, begin praying about your heart tomorrow. Why? Because here's, we've got the Monday blues. And listen, I get it. We don't want to go to work. But here's what you need to understand. All of us, from the very beginning of our inception, for the day we were created, the image of God, were created with this in mind. And that was work. Adam and Eve established the, the plans of the Lord. They worked in the garden. It was a delight to toil and labor for the cause of God. They, had, they were the vice regent. Everything they enjoyed was there in the garden, and it was a delight. It was beautiful. And here's the deal. What you need to know is this, is heaven is not going to be you floating on, on clouds. It's ultimately going to be you working for all of eternity. You're going to learn and love God, and you're going to be a, a delight to him, and he's going to be a delight to you as you work and you labor all of eternity for the cause of Christ, and you enjoy the bountiful fruit of the harvest. So if he began a work in you in creation, ultimately he's going to reestablish it when we are reunited with him in the heavenlies. The question is, is what's work to be now? miserable it's monday it works miserable it's cursed right thorns and thistles and i would say yes but here's the deal to press on here's what's awesome about jesus he's the recreator the thing that brings thorns and thistles can also bring beauty from ashes and the deal is is this what if you began to leverage the place that god got you what if you realize that it's not near as much about the sales report as a about the person you just sold that item to? What if you realize it's more about your character, the way you handle things? It's not about doing things in the dark in shady ways, but it's about leveraging things through the light, through the gospel. It's about building relationships with the person that you're working for. It's about building relationships with students. I get it. There's a test to teach to, but at the end of the day, instead of grumbling and complaining about a test, leverage relationships. There's a test there that you're teaching some students towards. Hey, teach them about the one who brings peace in the midst of a test. Leverage what God's given you. Why? Because at the end of the day, our goal is to share the gospel. So there's two gospel-centered implications real quick, and I just want to give them to you in the next four minutes. Here's one of them. At the end of the day, Christ is the head of the body, and you and I are his hands and feet. So I want you to think about this for just a second. If you are the hands and the feet, at the end of the day, you are the Romans 10. You are the beautiful feet that bring good news to people. The question is, is where's the good news traveling to? Because here, here's what you need to know. You need to understand that if the good news of the gospel is going to be spread forth, wherever it is, to Afghanistan, to Uganda, to India, to Nepal, if it's going to go to dark places of the earth or if it's going to go to James Street, 
or to Vanzette County Road, 3515, then you and I are the ones who are going to make it travel there. At the end of the day, we need to stop sitting back and going, you know what, I'm hoping the Lord's just going to do something. He has. He brought you out of darkness into the wonderful light. He's made you a priesthood. He goes, now go share the good news. Be my ambassador, my hands and feet. He has placed you in the context, and the best one is in the workplace. And every now and then, you're going to move out of the workplace, you're going to stumble in the grocery store, and you should share the gospel. So people ask me all the time, well, hey, oh, so you're talking about this mission deal. Well, well, what about our mission department? Do we have a mission department? Where do you spend, do y'all send missions? And if I'm going to join this thing, I want to make sure that at least 10% go to missions. I'm like, 100% goes to missions. Do what? 100% of your money goes to missions. You better believe it. Because this is the mission. You are the mission. We are the mission. We don't have a missions department. You're it. If the mission of God gets established on planet Earth, then you're it. If, if God's going to grow his church in Van Sant County, you're it. And if he's not, if this church dies, if it closes doors, listen, it's your fault. It's my fault. Because the gospel is meant to go forth, right? Do you realize that Jesus ended every gospel saying go? Every one of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, go. Go, therefore, baptize in the name of the, uh, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you to the very end of age. Similar thing in Mark, similar thing in Luke. Why? Because we are the hands and feet. We are the body, 1 Corinthians 12. So the question is, if we're going to go, and, and we are the missions department, and we're going to share the good news, then, then, then how much of that lies on us? And I would just simply say this, faithfulness, and that's it. All you have to do is share. You, you might remember Paul writing to the church of Corinth, and he, there's a little bit of division happening in 1 Corinthians 3 in the body, and Paul goes, hey, y'all know Apollo, so what is Paulo? So you know me, Paul, what is Paul? He goes, absolutely nothing. He goes, I, I plant, Paulus waters. At the end of the day, Jesus is the one who causes the growth. And I remember early on, I remember hitting a lot of walls. I would share my faith over and over and over and over again and nothing. I mean, people, I mean, they were, it was like they were looking at me and they were like, dude, I don't even want to hear from you. And I would take them and, and ultimately at the end of the day, I would buy their lunch and I would pray for them and I'd go, hey, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And I just remember one day getting in my truck, I'd share my faith more times than I can count because when you're planting a church, listen, you need people at some point to hop on board with this thing, right? To come to know Jesus, to follow in the call. Uh, and I remember just going, God, I don't know what else to do. I've, I've been as faithful as I know to do. I don't know if I need to tweak something up. Maybe I need to share another scripture. Maybe I need a more compelling illustration. And I remember in the seat of my truck, the Lord just going, Brandon, Brandon, dude, that's way too much pressure on you. At the end of the day, this is not your church. This is not your kingdom. And it's not your responsibility. I'm the head of the body. This is my thing. It's my kingdom. You be faithful, and you leave everything else up to me. I don't know about you, but you could look around and see the faithfulness of God. I, I know there's so many lives that have been changed. I know there's so many marriages that have been healed. I know there's hope in the gospel. But I want you to understand is this, that the hope of the gospel doesn't begin necessarily here on a Sunday, but it begins where God has put you in context. That's where the gospel needs to be shared. So you go, well, Brandon, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, the Sabbath. I mean, aren't we supposed to gather for the Sabbath? I mean, isn't that the most holy day? I mean, Sunday. I mean, that's what we're here for, Sunday. And listen, I, I would probably be able to debate you a little bit on that. At the end of the day, I think our Sabbath rest is Jesus and him alone. 
I think that at the end of the day, what we need is we need a gospel-centered lifestyle. We need to be abiding in the Word of God. And here's, here's what I believe this is today. I believe this is your pep rally. Today, this is me coming. This is the huddle right before you know, we execute the play. We just called the play. You know what the play is? Is go as fast as we can out into the community right now for the cause of the gospel into our workplace. And you know what the plan is? Share the good news. How? By the way we live our lives. By the way that we share our faith with other people. That's the play. Go execute it. And then next week, you know what you need to be prepared for? You need to come back next week, and you need to prepare to sing a few songs for the hope and recursion we have in Christ. You need to be prepared to be admonished biblically a little bit. At the end of the day, I'm going to send you out an encouraging note, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you the same thing. Go and win for the kingdom of God again wherever he has you. We've been doing it for eight years. You know what my hardest job is as a pastor? is to cast a compelling vision to sheep who don't get it. Why? Because sheep are dumb. <laughs> and you know what? I know I am one of them. And I know that, listen, I am as big of a challenge as anyone here. Can I just tell you, it's been a while since I've shared my faith with someone. Why? Because I've just gotten into the groove, right? I mean, there's so much to do. Our church is growing. There's staff to manage. There's things to get done. There's a message for the next week. And you look up and you go, man, it's been several months since I've shared my faith with someone. And the Lord just says, hey, Brandon, you need to get back. Renew that heart of the church planter. Remember, there's people around that need Jesus. And I just pray that you would know that we're going to faithfully share and we're going to trust God to do the growth. And if you're here and you're like, you're checking us out for the very first time, I, I'm not really sure what you're thinking. Can I tell you, if you want to be a part of something that God's using in Van Zant County, I think you're in the right place. But if you want to be a part of something in which you have rights rather than responsibility, you're probably in the wrong one. At the end of the day, what we said originally is that our members would take on responsibility in this body. And listen, we haven't changed that. Because at the end of the day, the way the work of God happens is through its members being compelled for the hope of the gospel to a world that desperately needs him. And I just apologize to you. I, I sincerely apologize to you if we've ever made it about you rather than the gospel. Or if in any way we've ever, in a sense, um, made you or your money or what you do for our church, or anything else, if we've elevated you, can I, just, can I just say humbly, I'm sorry. If we've ever given you the indication that the church was about you, or about me, or about anything else, and then Jesus being made famous throughout the earth, can I just apologize sincerely, I'm sorry. Because we still exist today for the good of those who are not here yet. And I would just be praying God, that you would send us the next 50. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they are, but I can tell you this. They're probably where you live and work. And we just need to leverage our relationships for the good of the gospel, to the hope of his glory and our good until he calls us home. And I pray that if you're on board with that, that we would remind ourselves in this pep rally time to go out and charge ahead for the cause of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I pray that 
you would help us to remember that probably the greatest gap in our life is between Sunday and Monday. Uh, we think Sunday is, is about us. It's about us coming and hearing a message and fe- singing a few songs and leaving feeling good. It's about a few amens. It's about a, a few head nods. And, and Lord, if we're not careful, we'll walk out of this almost unmoved, a little bit unchanged, and, and in some ways distorted with a view of what the church is, should be, and ultimately could be. But I pray today that you would press in our hearts, that you would establish something deep in our soul that reminds us of the work of God in our lives. And ultimately, where you're putting that work, that the work is not just for for here. It's not just about making a cup of coffee for somebody. It's not just about greeting for the sake of of our staff, but at the end of the day, the reason that we greet, the reason we serve, the reason that we love others is because there may be potentially somebody that needs to know you. And for the very first time, they may actually be here to receive the hope of the glory of God. Lord, so help us to to see that, to know that what we're doing is not in vain. At the end of the day, I also pray that you would help us to be sent out on a mission, knowing that we are the mission. That if people don't hear the good news of the gospel, it's not our pastor's fault, it's, it's not uh, our, our youth guy's fault, it's not our children's person's fault, it's our fault. That at the end of the day, we have the hope of God, the glory to come. He lives in our lives, he is the good news, you are the good news, and so help us to go and share it. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. There is a sheep worth rejoicing over, and I pray that we would go and share and ultimately carry them back here and that we'd celebrate with all of heaven over the rejoicing of a person who'd come to know you. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray you would help stir something in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing with us again. I sought the Lord.